I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Ancient Office Hours by the Ozymandias Project. Trireme Transit is now boarding for all new and returning passengers. Now departing, present ponderings. Next stop is Ancient Office Hours at a library lost in the sands of time. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 40 of Ancient Office Hours. I've got a really special episode for you guys today because I got to sit down and chat with the hilarious and wonderful Liv Albert, an author and host of the popular Let's Talk About Myths Baby podcast. Liv has a degree in English literature and classical civilizations from Concordia University in Montreal, where she studied ancient Greece and Rome. She is constantly researching new details and versions of Greek mythological stories to tell in the podcast, and especially loves speaking with experts on various ancient world subjects. We spoke about her decision to leave her publishing career for podcasting, managing her success and behind the scenes of her show, Myths Baby, and her insane love for Assassin's Creed Odyssey, but not its DLCs or other games. It was so nice to be able to sit down and talk a little shop about podcasting mythology and to nerd out together. It was wonderful for me to hear from a podcaster that I really admire and learn from her successes and failures in podcasting the classics. I hope you enjoy this episode. And if you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating and review us on Apple or Spotify. You can also subscribe on our Patreon. This will allow us to reach more people and make more ancient world content. Enjoy. Thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. I'm really, really excited to get right into it. Very first thing I want you to do is tell us a little bit about you, because obviously not an academic and your background sounds a lot more like mine, which I'm very proud of people who have backgrounds like mine. So tell us a little bit about yourself and, you know, about what you do. I am Liv Albert. I am the host and literally every other person involved with the podcast, Let's Talk About Myths, Baby, which is a Greek and Roman mythology podcast that focuses primarily on the stories of the women and the treatment of the women and the way the women were mistreated and the way the gods suck. So that's my whole sort of jam. But yeah, I did a classics degree like 10 years ago now and did it alongside an English degree that I had intended to use and didn't plan to touch my classics degree until I gave up my career choice of publishing and started a podcast on a whim because I was bored and lonely. And now I have the biggest mythology podcast out there. So 
that part's pretty cool and uh i've sort of amassed a huge and amazing following of beloved nerds yeah (laughs) shout out to them if any of you are following or listening shout out y'all are like awesomes i want to know were you just always really big into history growing up or you just like that kid who had to have the mythology books or did you it was was it more like a, a slow sort of build into it a little of both uh definitely always into the history sort of varied types of history i studied all the history i could in in high school and sort of avoided all of the math and science and you know the more practical things those were not you know the the things that drew me in but i definitely was always into mythology since i was quite young and you know never really planned to do anything with it i actually did my classics degree specifically because one day I started writing a novel and I loved mythology. So I based my novel around Greek mythology and then kept learning more and more on my own was like, okay, when I, I ended up doing an English degree to go into publishing because of having written that novel. And then was like, I'll just minor in classics because I'm a dork and it's fun. And then as soon as I got into like my first classics class at university, I was like, hell no, what am I doing? So I double majored. Like all of my electives are going to be classics anyway. Like why not, you know, make it a double major. And so I ended up just, just doing that and kind of went from there. So it's just always sort of been a thing that I love and just was passionate by. A lot of my friends can tell you about, you know, the times I would either bore or thrill them depending on the person with, you know, uninvited retellings of classical myths. Uh, One of my friends and I, when we were like 20, uh, we went to Rome together. And thankfully she was one of those people who wanted to hear my ramblings. Not everyone does, but it it fit very well. And so, yeah, I'm just sort of one of those people who was always able to spout off random nonsense. And so I made it into a career. Nice. Well, I mean, so you tacked that on. Did you ever have any thoughts of dropping the English major or were you pretty much like, no, 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 I'm very committed to the double major? Yeah. So I was never into being an academic, like academia in general was never my thing. I just wanted the piece of paper and obviously like to learn throughout the piece of paper, but I wasn't looking to make that a career or like a life choice. I was always intending to go to work into publishing. So basically I did my degree specifically to originally my intention was to become a literary agent. And then I actually went to grad school for publishing as well. So I have like a graduate postgraduate certificate in in publishing and I worked for years in publishing so that was was like the whole goal and I did the goal and then turned out the goal sucked and was like barely paid enough to live in Toronto let alone like you know live happily even after so many years and so I just gave that up at a time when I literally thought I was like giving up my whole dream and had no idea what I was going to do. And and I got a job I hated. I moved back, not home, but I moved like back to the West Coast where I grew up and got a job that I hated more than anything. And literally, I was just so depressed and sad at my job and lonely in a city that I just moved to and didn't know anyone that I started a podcast. And I was like, well, if I'm going to do this, like I'm going to do it on Greek mythology. So it was truly like the biggest afterthought in my life. You know, I was like, 29 and just like felt like a failure and started this podcast so it's just funny how it worked out that way where it's definitely been like the thing that's found me the most success ever and it came at a time when I was just like I'm really lonely and sad and feel like a failure well I'm like okay so then that can give hope to folks I guess like if you're no definitely yeah like like you'll find something you can find something yeah I think that it just shows that like all the things you think are your dreams you don't need to hold on to them in the way that they are your only dream ever like not to say don't go for it because I'm thrilled that I did and I'm glad that I worked in publishing and like all of my closest friends are still from that world and still in it it's like a dream that was I'm glad I did I'm glad I went through it I'm you know, it's one of those things that it 
important that it happened, but also it led to the thing that was better in the end, you know? So it's just sort of like, you know, nothing's like the be all and end all of life. <laughs> no yeah, failure is sure. real failure. For sure. When thinking about going into publishing and all, I do not know anything about that world personally. So I don't know what the job prospects are when you're coming out of college, but I imagine a lot of people get the same kind of side eye when you're like, oh, I was an English major in college that, you know, classics majors get, which is the like, oh my God, you're going to be poor your whole life. You're never going to make money. Why would you do that? Go into (laughs) STEM. So, you know, did you ever like have self-doubt where you're kind of just like, maybe I should just do something more practical, like actually practical. God, yeah. I mean, publishing is like, I would argue like at least the same job prospects as classics, if not worse, Yeah, especially in Canada. I'm sure it's a little bit better in the States, but I think it's still a bit of a joke. But like in Canada, we have, you know, like five publishers and then some independents. And if you're working in independent, you're really not going to make any money unless you're at a certain place. Like there are ways I have some friends who have found real success in publishing and it's badass and I respect them for it. And I want to watch as they like rule the world of Canadian publishing. And I'm glad I left it, you know, but it, yeah, it's one of those things where you know they they say that like if you want to be an editor somebody either has to die or retire like it's not (laughs) there's not major job prospects there so but I got really well I don't want to say lucky but I you know I I worked for what I got but I got like a paid internship instead of an unpaid because I literally could not have afforded an unpaid internship and then right from there I got a job at Penguin Random House so like the biggest publisher so I had some real like good moments throughout that, which is why I'm glad that I did it. But yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things. I think people should still do degrees in classics and in history because this stuff's really important. Even if you don't end up working in it, it's really important to like continue spreading this kind of knowledge beyond necessarily the job prospects and more so because of like the passions that people have for it and everything, you know, like not everything needs to be about a job, I guess. For sure. And did you have either supportive parents or siblings or professors, like mentors along the way that really helped you and, and, you know, kind of said, it's okay. It's okay. You know, it's not like STEM and it's okay. You don't need to go into that. Do, do your thing. And like, oh yeah, like definitely. I mean, my, my family is not a particularly academic family. So like, I don't have any family. Well, I mean, like extended family in STEM, but like my parents, like my mom, did her degree in like childhood education. We weren't a family that was pushing for anything. My parents were basically thrilled that I decided to get a degree because I didn't go back to university until I was 21. So there had already been like five years or however many years after high school between there where it was like, they thought I wasn't going to do a degree at all. So there was just a thrill that I was going <laughs> to university. There was definitely like my sister has a degree in fine arts. So she arguably chose an even more useless degree than I did. So, you know, it's really, yeah, there was definitely like no pressure from the other side. <laughs> okay that could be a really major advantage because you can just you can be encouraged to pursue what you want but also like tiny bit impractical when you think of like the realities of like job market and life yeah but that's a capitalist mess like I don't know people should just still do what they want and figure it out later yeah I just think yeah we really can't be basing everyone's entire like futures and everything on just the practicality because then stuff like classics falls apart completely it's the best. You mentioned the situation. So I'm going to bring that right up because it's something I bring up on like a daily basis myself, which is the absolutely piss poor state of funding for humanities here in this country. Is it any better in Canada or not really? I have no idea, honestly, just because I'm so outside that realm of academia. I imagine it's very similar. I, I definitely know 
I've heard of a few programs that have been shut down completely and stuff like that recently. So I would say it's very similar. Our university systems are less privatized, I think is probably the right terminology. You know, like we don't pay $40,000 for a degree. Thank the fucking God. Sorry. I don't know if I can swear. Thank the yeah, gods. Go ahead. Really? No, <laughs> I can't. Great. Yeah. So, I mean, it, I, it's, I think that the, the prospects are the, about the same, but at least everything's still just more attainable here. Yeah, well, I was going to say, you know, I talk a lot about finding solutions to fixing the issue because, I mean, in the U.S., as I'm sure you've heard, it's all about the, it comes like from the top down, it's like federal funding, and then you allocate it to like the states, and then the state governments have to like figure out who gets education, and it's basically like prove to us that you can make money and be worthwhile or else you don't deserve your funding, so like my last year in college, Basically, my my department got told, yeah, classics, you guys like don't make money. You're not big enough. So we're just going to combine you with a couple of the departments and um, good luck. Well, that's infuriating. But, you know, what what can you do? You can't, you know, fight the system. Well, you can't fight the system. You'll just lose, and, which sucks. Well, <laughs> I was going to say you can and should <laughs> fight the system <laughs> versus jumping immediately to losing. But, you know, well, to each their yes, own. that's true. Well, I would always say definitely fight and continually the system. It's just it's a very difficult uphill battle. One that we sure. should keep fighting for, obviously. Yeah. Uh, shitty systems. That's, um, you know, nothing new, unfortunately. So I want to turn a little bit to when you were carving out your space as a Greek mythology podcast. But also, I love how you mix in the whole, like, this is the feminist retelling of all this stuff. Where did that come from? Did you grow up, like, super political? Or was it you weren't political, but, like, you saw things happening? And then you were just kind of like, all right, now, let, let's just, like, real talk about this. Yeah, I think I just became political, but I also think that like feminism should inherently not be considered political because it's literally just equality among the genders, you know, and I make sure my feminism is intersectional and it is, it's not specific to women, let alone just cis women. I think it was just sort of naturally my thing. Like I'd become political in recent years just because of the state of things and the state of existing as a woman in the world. So it's just sort of a natural thing for me where, you know, I didn't set out necessarily to make the podcast that way, but if you are a person who considers women to be human beings and people and you're reading a story of Zeus, then I think that if you are not pointing out how horrifying some of these myths are, then you are just on the wrong side of it. You know, like the, for the people who are still going about saying things like Zeus fell in love with these women and like whisked them off or like had an affair or seduced or all these things that are like deep deeply problematic terminology for what the truth is like it's just inherent that that anyone with a discerning mind and you know a view of women as humans could read these and think like hey maybe I won't tell these stories like they've been told before because that's dark yeah I think we don't talk enough about all the like really shitty things in mythology because we tend to be presented with not like the the nicest most beautiful picture but we definitely kind of gloss over just in the name of like let's just tell people but like not scare them away or whatever it's, it's I also like, think we're just you know, given we're given a patriarchal view of it right like mm-hmm. it's not like necessarily glossed over it's just stories told by men and then the men see it like Zeus seducing these women like it's that the the storytellers from all the way back to the ancient Greeks who wrote them down, to who copied them down, to who chose what texts survived, to blah, 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 like all the way down the line, it's always been men. And so it's just that the stories have been skewed so much that you think you're getting the truth, but what you're getting is something that's just been like told and retold and all the way down the line exclusively by men, except 
in the, you know, other than maybe Edith Hamilton and people in the last 50 years. But aside from her and that time period, you're looking at men. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, I mean, what can I say other than you're doing good work out here? <laughs> you know, you're illuminating people and, and pointing out real things. I mean, in your time podcasting, because you've been doing it for four years now, what would you say is like your biggest pet peeve that you can consistently see people either saying or, or thinking, you know? I don't even know. I mean, at least, you know, from my personal side of it, like my podcast, I still get people who give leave me bad reviews because of my apparent what they call inserting my views into these stories and you can't reply to reviews but if you could mine is simply that like I'm just pointing out what other people have been ignoring I'm not inserting my own opinions I'm not I mean in some cases I am but like over like by and large that's not what I'm doing I'm just simply giving pointing out that there's a certain type of person women and otherwise who just have not had their voices heard because literally all of the people telling the stories have been men. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it's just that misconception or that, that idea to inherently place politics on feminism in the way that it's simply equality. Like, it's not political to say that all genders should be equal. <laughs> like, that's just a, should be, you know, a moral fact. So yeah, just the idea that the people, the way people misconstrue these things or the way that, you know, various patriarchal views in like infect these people to then say, you know, these things about what I'm doing versus the truth. But I honestly, at this point, I don't care. Like they can say what they want. It's not a big deal. It doesn't affect me, but it's funny at the beginning because you really, it does affect you at the beginning. Cause especially in the case of my podcast, it's just me there. I'm not talking to anyone else. It's, I mean, now, now I do. Um, but still like once a week my podcast is still just me talking just me telling this story and so there's like a lot of personal aspects and and when people criticize you especially at the beginning it can be really harsh and hard to deal with and I think it's that's one of the hardest things to get over as a podcaster is just like the critiques that feel personal or the critiques in general but specifically those that feel like a dig on you as a person versus you know a content of whatever yeah, well, I was going to say, I mean, so you've been podcasting a pretty long time now. And so you've got pretty good experience and time to, you know, build up a thick skin. But for other, you know, newbie podcasters who want to approach classical material, the ancient world, whatever, you know, I started mine back in what August, September 2020. So not that long. And I was really confronting like a lot of how do I do this? This is this subject is so big. There's a lot to go. I could go in any number of directions because there's just endless possibilities. So what was that process like when you kind of first sat down? I mean, were you like, all right, I'm just going to try this and then let it evolve? Or did you have a pretty like clear idea of kind of what you wanted to do with it? I mean, so I, I didn't like my clear idea was just Greek mythology, honestly. But I also think that four years ago, podcasting was a different realm where even now, like you really shouldn't go into podcasting, assuming you're going to get big or with the intention to get big, because I think especially if that's your intention, it's probably not going to happen. Like it is really hard to get big in podcasting and it takes, I mean, it takes like obviously talent and, and like drive and motivation, but it also takes like confluences of things you have absolutely no control over. Right. Like I can't say that all of my success is based entirely on me. It's all based around me. Like uh, if I, if my podcast was different, maybe I wouldn't have reached this level of success, but it also is like the way, you know, the world is right now. It's the way how popular mythology is, is becoming. And it's all of these different things that come together. But I just think the main thing should be have a vision of what you want and 
mine has changed over time because I didn't intend that at the beginning, but know what you want to do and prepare ahead of time is my biggest recommendation to people. Like do all the research on how to start a podcast, best practices. There's so many things that if, that help purely because of algorithms more so than the human audience. And I think those are big things to pay attention to as well. So yeah, I mean, there's just, there really is so much to it. It's a wild world, but also it's fun. And I love that literally anybody can do it. Yeah, it is one thing I was noticing. I mean, this seems to be the exploding podcast aid because definitely a few years ago, people were kind of like, okay, there's a few over here and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, still wasn't a big thing. And now, I mean, yeah, definitely pandemic helped because people just discovered oh, if I have a microphone and some kind of recording device, ostensibly some interesting topic, you can do it. Like, oh yeah, just sit down and do it. So it's a whole new world. So when you were still early on, I mean, before you finally caught the success that you have now, I mean, was there ever a point where it just seemed like you wanted to stop just because it was, you know, it was getting a little, a little much. It was a little hard. It's a time commitment or were you just having fun with it the whole time? And then boom. Definitely having fun with it the whole time. Like, I don't think those are mutually exclusive, unfortunately, but yeah, I've always enjoyed it. And I've, my successes were like slow burn, you know, it was really, it's not like it all hit at once at any point. The thing that made the, the big change for me was just the right ad company coming along and giving me the ad space that allowed me to quit my job because there was definitely a point where I would have had to stop the podcast if I, it hadn't become well enough paying to become my full-time job just because of how burnt out I was because I was doing a full-time job and after the pandemic or you know at the starting beginning of it there is no after I was doing two episodes a week and then restarting my full-time job where I managed a retail store in a pandemic and then still trying to get two episodes of a podcast out a week so I was just burnt out completely so I do think it's it's so hard to say when I don't say to quit, but I think you have to manage your expectations and make sure that the amount that you're doing is worth it for what you're getting out of it, or maybe just slow it down so that you're not burnt out or various things, you know, like I would have had to slow down or, or stop entirely. And in order to save my mental health, like around this time last year, exactly. I was, it was really nearing like the line of what was going to happen. Yeah, no, totally understandable. So, I mean, hey, totally commendable glad you're still to this day having fun with it I think that's me too that's the goal right like everyone wants to just be so happy and 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 do what they do I think I definitely you know I never saw myself as a podcaster and it's really funny because I would not have started mine except for a friend who was like it's pandemic time you clearly love talking about the field why don't you just get a microphone and start recording yourself and maybe some other people. And I was like, no, no, no. Why would I do that? I don't have time. And then, yeah, I just sort of pushed myself and I was like, I guess I could try this thing. Maybe, I don't know. And and now here I am. So it's it's wild. It's wild. So it's just fun. You know, like you started as a fun hobby and see what it goes, where it goes from there. You know, like it can be a hobby at any point. It can just be like a thing you do on the side for fun. And then it can go, it can grow or it can remain that way, depending on what you want and what happens. But it's, it's just a fun thing to do for sure. Yeah. And it really helps to stay realistic. I think, you know, somebody early on was like, okay, well, what's your definition of, of success if it doesn't work out? And I said, well, if I can get any professors to listen even to one episode and maybe assign it as like an extra credit thing in a class, just because the guest had something really important to say to me, that's success. And they were like, okay, well then you're good. That's pretty low. 
shoot for that. And I was like, <laughs> okay, great. Still don't actually know if any professors have used it in their classes yet, but I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hopeful that somebody will hear something they like and, and use it. So yeah, that's, I mean, that's a really fun measure of success too and attainable and yeah, just like would feel really good. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I definitely, yeah, would never approach this activity as, as like a, I don't know. I still would be like, oh man, I don't think I'd want to do it as a full-time job. Then, and then I'd start to feel pressured, you know, and I'm like, no, I always wanted to just be fun and, you know, have it be a, a great way to meet new people. Honestly, yeah. honestly, that that's what I was doing during my pandemic life. I was like, I'm sad and I'm introverted, but like, LOL lockdown makes my introverted self like happy, but also I miss people. So I was like, yeah. I'm just going to create a, a way to zoom people all over the world and, and make new friends virtually since I can't like go any place. So. Yeah. And I do think like the pressure of it becoming a full-time job can take away from it. Like, I think if you are setting out to make it a full-time job, to have this moneymaker that's like going to make you rich, you're not going to, it's not going to add to a good podcast because if that's always the intention, like, what are you doing? You know, like the thing about good podcasts is that it's usually because the person is like really passionate about what they're doing for the sake of it, not for some big success. And even like the, the pressure of making sure that my episodes stay regular and, and just as good is huge still. And, and now it is my whole career and like my income. And so even, you know, it's, there is still a lot of pressure, even after all this time where I'm really confident and I'm confident in, in my skills and my listenership and all of these things, but there's still that pressure. There's still like, well, you know, I was off my game this week, but I still had to release an episode. So here we go. Hope it's okay. You know, it's an, it's a really, it's a very like odd place to be in. And one I'm thrilled to be in because most of the time I'm still feeling great, but then you still, yeah, everything is always, there's still going to always be this level of pressure, especially when it is something so tied to this thing that I love, but now is also the way that I pay my rent. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I can't speak from personal experience, but I don't know. Yeah. I, I would feel like it, I couldn't stop doing it even if I really wanted to, because it's like the, the, what do you have kind of in the interim? So, you know, mm -hmm. like, you know, how do you kind of stay motivated just so you don't get to this place where you're like, I love this, but oh my gosh, wait, now I have to do this and this and this. I really just want to stop and take a break. I mean, everything else is what keeps me going. Cause it's like, I, I hate editing episodes. I really, that part, I still hate. I especially hate editing conversation episodes just because they're time consuming in a way that my regular episodes are not. Like I love the conversations, but then the editing of them is like, oh, this is just going to take so many hours. But then at the same time, as soon as I actually start doing it and I start re-listening to my conversation, and even when I'm, I mean, especially when I'm in the conversation itself, because the pandemic has allowed me to turn my show into Tuesday episodes are narrative myths and Fridays are either me reading a, an epic or a conversation episode. And through this field and through classics, Twitter specifically, like it's opened up my world into, I have the most fascinating guests on almost every week. And I learned the craziest, most incredible stuff that I would have never imagined. And then I get to learn it and I get to sit here with this like huge smile on my face while these guests are talking about their field and all this fascinating stuff. And then I get to send it out into the world where however many thousands of people are going to hear it. And that means so much too. You know, even though the editing I find to be sometimes tedious and I think it's just mostly my ADHD getting in the way of like, I can't stare at this one thing and do this one thing this whole time. By the end of it, I'm like, that was amazing. It was just as amazing as when I had the conversation. And now I get to send it out into the world where everyone's going to learn this stuff too. And that makes it all 
all of it worth it, right? Let alone the episodes themselves where I just get to write this like dorky script and then I get to learn the story. I get to learn new details. I get to read more plays and epics and so many things that it's always going to remain more fun than it is work. Oh, that's nice to hear. <laughs> it's always nice to hear that, you know, it's motivating. And and yeah, I would agree. I, you know, when I bring on experts in their fields, I'm just like, you are a vast wealth of knowledge and everything practically coming out of your mouth is going to inform me in some way, shape or form. So it is, it is really nice because it's brings out the, the perpetual student, right? Where it's like, you're, you're always learning and you're creating an avenue for yourself to learn. And then, and then, yeah, yeah. You know, editing. Yeah. I'll, I'll admit editing sucks. It takes up a lot of time and I could sit there and then look at my clock and be like, I just spent two and a half hours editing. I'm so tired. Get me out of here. But you're right. Yeah. It's, it's nice to go back and, and to kind of relive it after however long is gone since, since you recorded it. So exactly. Yeah. All right. Just to like wrap up this nice podcasting chat, because I love <laughs> just talking shop with other podcasters. You have the degree of success. You're in a really good spot with your podcast. Where do you see your show in the next five years? Like, is there some place where you'd like to get to some kind of, I don't know, pie in the sky? This would be a fun goal to hit. Not like, you know, you're forced to hit it, but just anything fun that you haven't gotten to do, you know, just fun stuff. Not really. It's funny. Like, I think it's just keeping it going like this, you know, like it's just fun now and pandemic aside, I'm looking at touring and what, what I could do there, which would be, frankly, it's terrifying, but I'm trying to convince myself it's not terrifying, you know, be less terrifying when we're not still in a pandemic, but yeah, things like, I mean, honestly, just keeping going the way it is. The thrill for me is the bigger I get, the more help I get, <laughs> which is like, okay, I'll take that. So yeah, I mean, that's really, that's really it. Just my biggest goal is still to release the novel that started this whole massive world I live in now. It's a goal completely outside of the podcast. And it's, that's like the thing I work towards. And otherwise I just want to kind of keep going the way I'm going because it's fun. That's awesome. I hope, I hope you get to, and, and I'll, you know, avidly be following along I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> What's going on this week. Now that you've brought up the fact that you get to tell fun sort of narratives and educate not only yourself as you do the research, but then get to bring those to other people. Do you have a favorite myth? I know it's so hard to choose. Cause I don't even, I can't even say I have <laughs> one, but if, if you, okay, maybe, I don't know, top two, maybe is that a little easier? I have two that I can give you for two different reasons, which is why I think that I love them both. I would say like my favorite, you know, big sprawling myth slash my favorite epic is the Odyssey because it's a perfect masterpiece of amazingness. And I love my problematic hero Odysseus. You know, that's my overall, like, I just love the Odyssey so much. But my favorite, I don't even want to necessarily call it a myth because my favorite bit about this is not the myth. It's the misconceptions around it because like in my girl Medusa forever because of the way that absolutely no person outside of the field of classics understands her but they all think they understand her because of the ways in which she has been misconstrued over the years I find it fascinating and dark and weird and it brings out this level of misogyny in people that you would not expect but ultimately it's led me to then read every extant source that I could possibly find on her and learn all these intricacies and all the ways that 
modern representations of her are just a hundred percent wrong, let alone all the other, you know, bits and pieces that come along with it. So my favorite all-time person is Medusa, less so for her than the way that she has been evolved and messed with. I find it so fascinating. Yeah. Do you have a favorite adaptation of her story or something with her in it, I suppose, if we can even say that in pop culture? In pop culture, no, because it's awful. Because <laughs> everything about her in pop culture is wrong. My thing, my favorite thing about her is that her level of monstrosity is debatable if she is monstrous at all. I love that she literally hurt not a single person on record when her head was on her body. I love that she has become this like iconic monstrous evil that needed to be killed when absolutely none of that exists in the myth. The earliest extant source about her is Hesiod and he feels bad for her. He literally says she suffered a woeful fate and he says absolutely nothing about her doing anything bad. And yet she has like become this thing, this monstrous evil. Some man on Twitter told me that Perseus was ridding the world of a like like a deep like worldwide pressure of evil by killing Medusa. And I'm like there's nothing about that. Nothing. She the earliest source is literally she was a Gorgon. We don't know what a Gorgon looks like in this source. She simply was a Gorgon. She was one of three. She was the only mortal one, i.e. the only one he physically could kill. She was with Poseidon in some way. I'm pretty sure he assaulted her because he's Poseidon. And she, quote, suffered a woeful fate. Like, that's it. And yet we have this idea that she deserved to be killed to rid this world of an evil, that everything would be better if Perseus flying on Pegasus, its own anachronism of epic proportions in which he had to kill Medusa because she was like terrorizing the land. And it's literally none of that exists, let alone the mess of Pegasus being ridden by Perseus. Like, it's just, I love it. I love it because it's wild and ridiculous. And Pegasus was only ever ridden by Bellerophon. He literally wasn't even born yet. Yep. Well, you know, when <laughs> things go into pop culture, as I say, the uh, sausage maker, it really kind of slices and dices it up. It's it really weird. I want to talk to these people and ask them how they think Pegasus could possibly be ridden by Perseus, just like in terms of physics, because he's literally born from Medusa's severed head. How do you ride the thing to kill Medusa when it's born of the death of Medusa, friends? I could so go on, clearly. <laughs> right, right. So, I mean, do you bother to watch big blockbuster movies like, oh, yeah. you know, the Clash of the Titans where you just, do you use that basically as almost like comedic relief where you just watch it and you just like yeah. laugh at it the whole time? I mean, yeah, especially Clash of the Titans. I haven't seen the old one, which I need to, but the old Jason and the Argonauts was amazing. So I, I just know how much I need to see the old one. But the new one I watched and I just love it because it's like, I mean, not only does he ride Pegasus, but he comes upon this like herd of Pegasi and he picks one and you're like, screw you. It's one, one flying horse named Pegasus. Like, fine. There were more flying horses. Sure. They are not all called Pegasus. It's a proper noun. Like I've got so many like go-to phrases on that, like the Kraken. Holy shit. What are you talking about? Doesn't even sound Greek because it's obviously Norse. But even if you didn't know that it was Norse, it doesn't sound Greek. And it's just like, I love those things so much, especially because I suppose, and this is where I could go on, but I love them because the things they change to make the myth wrong do not add anything. They just make it wrong. Like the story of Perseus killing Medusa, aside from the fact that I don't believe Medusa deserved to die, like the story of that could make for an incredible movie. It would be so good. And yet they add a Kraken where, why not Keto? It doesn't even, like Keto 
is the sea monster he killed, uh, Akitos rather. Like he kills Akitos. What is so different from Kitos to Kraken that you felt like you had to do Kraken? Why? Where does that come from? It's not even like more syllables. Like you don't even get like more epic sound. It's another K word. It's two syllables. Like what's your deal? Things like that where I'm like, why? Just tell tell me why. Or tell like that Pegasus thing aside, like I understand why people want to see a hero riding Pegasus. I would love to see poor Bellerophon riding Pegasus somewhere instead of Hercules and, and Perseus when it's just Bellerophon, that poor guy, he's completely forgotten in favor of this horse. But so no, I think I love them for that reason to look at the absurdity and just be like, you know, this story is so good in the way it was written in ancient Greece. Why are we bothering to fuck with it in this way? Why? It's a great question. Thank and I have you. so many questions for movie executives. <laughs> but then uh, again, I always have questions for executives for other nitpicky things as well. I mean, are you also this passionate about like movies portraying other ancient cultures or is it particularly like Greek mythology? I just don't know enough about others. Like I definitely have a thing for Egypt and have since I was a kid, but I don't know enough. But I mean, you know, I, I would definitely be this passionate about all the white people in that Gods of Egypt movie. Like that's in itself problematic as all hell. So like certainly when it comes to like basic level that leads like basic level history that is then inherently racist by <laughs> fucking with it in that way. Like obviously I'm going to have thoughts on that, but that's more to do with like the Egyptians were incredible. Let's not make them white. <laughs> that's its own thing. But uh, you know, probably nothing other than Greek mythology, Lord of the Rings, but that's not classical or that's not an ancient myth. So, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, you could, you could vibe with the, well, it was inspired by, but yeah, I don't know. To I me, mean, it's its own there's... mythology, but it's not right. ancient mythology, but that's exactly. definitely like the only other mythology that I feel as strongly about, which is a bizarre thing to say, because I recognize it's not. Hey, that's fine. There are plenty of people who get all into their Star Wars mythology. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not really a sci-fi person. So I'm kind of just like, you know, I watched them when I was a kid, like everyone else, they were kind of like highly entertaining just because of the effects. But then, you know, at the end of the day, I'm kind of like, do I really care that much about Star Wars? Not really. I mean, I love Star Wars, but I don't care about the like three and mythos behind it, but I love Star Wars. Definitely entertaining. You know, it was nice to see uh, Ewan McGregor with that nice beard in the what, third movie. Oh, I tend movie, whatever. oh, but those are garbage movies. Those don't count. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Yes. The, the newer ones, we shall say. <laughs> but it's so funny because when we think of adaptations of ancient Greece, everything is set in kind of like that time period. So everything looks great. And everything's rebuilt. Like the Parthenon looks amazing. And it's so interesting because I was just thinking the other day when I was watching one of the like Egyptian myth-based movies, I was like, why is Egypt always portrayed in ruins? Like, is it? Like, I was like, it's always in, it's always things are falling down. The pyramid is old. Things are just like not looking so hot. And I'm just like, why do we do that? What about this makes us think that Egypt is in ruins? Especially if it's like, you know, take gods of Egypt. And I'm like, but it's supposed to be doing real good. It's at its height. And yet the whole thing is like in ruins. See, I'll admit I haven't actually seen that movie because it looked so bad that I've never seen it. So my take on movies about ancient Egypt are you know, not necessarily always about ancient Egypt, but just the mummy franchise is all that I care about in this world. But otherwise, have, have you even seen, seen a lot. the newer one? Dare I ask? Oh, it's hilarious. They get the God of the Dead wrong. I'm pretty sure it's the God of the Dead. Could they say like Anubis? They say Anubis when they mean Osiris or something where I was like, I'm not even good at Egyptian mythology and I know that you got 
the god wrong like just a simple google search of like who's the god of x it's wild I watched that uh, one know. and just laughed hysterically. Yeah, no, people get things, people get even simple things wrong. Like people running around saying, oh, Cyrus, he's like the dog headed God. And I'm just like, that's oh, a yeah. jackal. Well, I- and it's Anubis. <laughs> and it's Anubis. So I'm just like, um, <laughs> I was like, have you ever seen? It's like, no, we good, dude. Okay, yeah. cool. Just a Google, like a simple, who is the God of blank? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, these things and these like weird mistakes, it's so funny. It, you, it, it clearly differentiates who who's capable of a Google search and who was like, I don't care. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't even care enough to look it up on the most base level. Yeah, which is shocking because I'm like, you would, ex- you know, everyone is hopefully capable of just a very like super simple. I'm not even asking you to go to like Google Scholar and then find no, like no. some like weird obscure reference on JSTOR, which Oh just God, want the first so Google result. Just the first top Google result will do. <laughs> the first line is like the yeah. jackal-headed god of mummification. You're like, oh, yeah. So, you know, it's it's fun. So they get things wrong. It just popped into my head. And now I have to ask, since you have very much stated you love Medusa, I love Medusa because she's so misunderstood. How do you feel about them slapping her head on something really random like Versace? I just don't think I care enough to have an opinion. I like know that's a thing, but also it's Italian, right? And Sicily uses, has used Medusa or a Gorgon rather for like ever. So I feel like if it's coming from that, then I'm kind of like, okay, you're taking it at least from your heritage. Okay. Okay. That's acceptable. You know, I, I don't think about that one very often because I really don't care enough about the perfume to like give a shit about it. But I guess to me, it's in that classification of like, we are constantly misappropriating and using symbols and like putting them out of context. And it's just like wild. So, you know, one thing I always point out in the modern world is like using the caduceus for our medical symbols. And I'm just like, shouldn't that be Asclepius's rod it's like it sure one should. snake not two one is no the wings at the top like, right and I'm just like but also I'm just like aren't we sending the wrong lol no one well, cares yeah no I mean your country <laughs> is intentionally sending the wrong message like he's the god of commerce and I think we all know what Americans America's medical system is like yeah so well, it's like it's the commerce kind thing of suits right I mean it's the commerce <laughs> thing but it's also like the idea that like but he's the one who leads people to the underworld. He's, he doesn't yeah. come and take you to the he's hospital. He's the god of commerce. No, no. He's going to uh, bring you there when you're dead, and he's going to charge you for it. Yeah, you know, so I'm just like, that. that's one I would say that really bothers me, along with, like, the as ridiculous as it is, the Trojan condoms, right? Where I'm just like, who thought this was a good idea? Again, the was opposite like, of what it should be. Just like, we all know what the Trojan horse was, right? Yeah. Like, we just like to use a bunch of ancient stuff and make it sound cool. Uh, for just have like, it be no deeply opinion. wrong. Yeah. Exactly. Here's just a really fun one because I, I personally am just very curious about this now. If you personally, if you were told by some like Hollywood executive that you could make a movie or a TV show out of any character or popular myth that's not Medusa, what or who would it be? The Odyssey. Yeah, obviously. I mean, I want it 10 years ago because I want it to star that level of Sean Bean from Troy. The only good part about that movie other than Brad Pitt's abs. I want to see Sean Bean in 2004 in a realistic, full-blown miniseries adaptation of The Odyssey with every waking moment of all of his nonsense, his lying, and his getting all of his men killed over and over and over again all of the women i want to see every moment of my problematic love odysseus as sean 
Bean or Sean Bean as Odysseus very specifically because also I love Sean Bean. You know, it's so funny because when the when the when the 2018 miniseries came out, I was like, okay, there's certain parts about well, it that I was. Oh, like, you mean the you fall, Troy Fall of a City? Yeah. So I was like, so when that came out, I was like, okay, so they added more things that the movie didn't, which I liked, but then they also got some things a little wrong still that I was like, mm, okay, don't like that. But I, I kept thinking to myself, if we could just use like half of the cast from the 2004 movie and put them into the miniseries. I would have mm. enjoyed it so much more. But that's because, you know, again, Sean, love him. So would want him in there. But also I was kind of just like, am I the only one who really enjoyed Brian Cox as Agamemnon? Because he I was pretty really- good. Yeah. No, yeah. Because I think he did really get across the like overall general shittiness of Agamemnon where you're like, I don't really see any redeeming qualities in you as a human. I definitely, I see that. So I really would have liked him to come back. And then the dude who was uh, Menelaus, I, I forgot the actor's name, but the guy who was Menelaus yeah. in the 2004 movie, I actually would have liked to see. I didn't really like the the guy in the in the newer one. So I watched the first just, episode and I hated it so much. I didn't keep going. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was, uh, I was like, no, I, I'm not I, in I, on this. I definitely suffered through it. You know, there's some interesting part. I mean, hey, at least they included Penthesilea, which is something that the movie omitted, which I will never forgive them for, but that's like a whole Well, the movie killed Menelaus. The movie has some flaws. The movie killed everyone. The the movie killed Agamemnon before he was famously murdered. I was just like, but he doesn't die at Troy. Agamemnon dies in Troy in that movie too. Is it just it's not just Menelaus? Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, because it was was it Perse- No, it was. It was like Briseis when he like captured her so he was like ah, i'm taking you and then she like takes the knife like oh. she's hiding it behind her and then she like stabs him in the neck and so all you see is him going like Ooh. good grief yeah and you're right. like no so dude like, you gotta no. get killed by your wife in the bathtub that's mm-hmm. what's gotta happen for you exactly so i'm just like mm, y'all did things so wrong so wrong <laughs> it's like whatever it's it's fine that movie lives in its own it's orbit. yeah it's a thing Exactly. Also, I will just say, if you have not seen the older original Clash of the Titans, oh, I'm going to. It's so worth it because it's so bad, kitschy in the like effects that you. But it's that I'm going to forget his name now. He gets he has an exhibit on in the UK right now because he was claymation and his designs were so incredible from Jason and the Argonauts and Clash of the Titans. So I just want to see his Medusa so badly. I just haven't gotten around to it because. Jason the Argonauts is amazing like the Talos figurine that they used is so unbelievable and like the skeletons and oh yeah so no it's definitely on my list I just I never get around to doing anything except my podcast and playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey that's all I do okay you know what you know what I wasn't I was gonna try my best to avoid it but now we gotta talk about it because you you got me on my Assassin's Creed horse which I don't willingly get off of very often I mean how revolutionary is it to have something that cool and that realistic that we can just run around in this simulation of ancient Greece okay so full disclosure I am 33 and while that shouldn't have led me to never playing video games outside of n64 it did literally like not played anything beyond my nintendo like mario party from 2002 until enough people told me about odyssey and i had finally became full-time podcaster and therefore knew that i vaguely had enough time so i bought myself a playstation i bought odyssey and it is still now the only game that i've played except i have tried origins but i just can't Mm -hmm. get into it as much but i have now in November I guess it will be a year since I have been playing and I still play it like every couple of days if not every night and I have I'm going to be beating it 
for like the third time through fairly soon and like because it is a perfect thing it's so accurate and where it can't be accurate it's so well researched and I, I I don't know that I love anything else in this world more than I currently love Odyssey and like the amount that I just want to play it and wander ancient Greece and do all their silly little things and their Medusa is incredibly cool and badass and yeah no a uh, big fan over here Okay. Okay. I was going to say, <laughs> I, you know, if you haven't gotten into Archeo gaming yet, you should totally be an Archeo gamer. The thing is the gaming thing is what eludes me. I just <laughs> frankly, and I don't, there's nothing wrong with it. It is an incredible field. It's so cool. All of this. I just don't care about anything else. And I, the thing is, is what I've learned that I love about Odyssey is that it's not mythological because I've played the myth-based DLC and I don't like how they interpreted it. So I find that I'm too attached to the myths and them being this like amorphous blob in my head that when I see an interpretation of them, I, I don't like it because I don't want an interpretation of the myths. What I love about Odyssey is it's literally just classical Greece. So it's just like the history. It's just that world. So then, because people were telling me to play so many other games and I know that I should and I could and whatever but I'm I'm simply not going to <laughs> it's a, the exact thing that I need and then when I think about playing other things I'm like I just don't get the same thing out of it so it's just it's not my my thing I think other than Odyssey <laughs> okay hey that's totally fine I, you know I, I enjoyed seeing the the mythological realms in the DLC I mean no it's not my favorite either but you know it's like decently entertaining couple of I, hours actively found them annoying i didn't mind the underworld like i think i like the underworld but i also hate all of the issue stuff and i like i know it's this whole assassin's creed lore like i recognize all the reasoning behind it but as somebody who's only ever played odyssey and didn't know any of the lore up front it feels to me like you're making an alien thing you're doing it you know you're doing like an ancient alien style mess and then also just the fact that they chose atlantis bums me out but I mean I've played it all don't get me wrong but I like to stick with the main game primarily all right all right well and I will say it is also a perfect game because that was revolutionary in the Assassin's Creed world where you could be a playable female character oh my God, I know. can we talk about that for a minute oh, like and Cassandra's how the better one like I am I've played through with Cassandra twice and now I'm playing through with Alexios just to, like get the other side everything about him is less convincing, less meaningful, like less sincere. Like he sounds insincere. And I'm like, I feel bad because I know it's a voice actor. And so like, I'm, I'm trying not to insult the person, but Alexio sounds insincere and Cassandra is like so legit and I love her to death. So yeah. I know. I know. It's so crazy. I was like, I know they're voice actors, but I'm just like, I had to play her twice through myself because I was like, I just can't. And so I did, I subjected myself to, all right, I'll do a full playthrough with Alexios. I promise I'll get through. And I found myself struggling because every time I logged on, I was just like, oh, the, the urge to just like go to the other save file where I can go back to her. It's so strong. But oh yeah, I made it through. But, you know, my only issue, and it wasn't even with like the actor's voice itself. It was, my issue was with the, like the voice direction. Because I was like, who thought it would be a good idea to tell him to do like a, a caricatured voice of what you think yeah that's heavy like greek of... accent is supposed to be like yeah except that they're all greek all the voice actors are greek yeah it's a funny thing i don't know i find just like i have three ongoing games at any given time where like my cassandra's at 99 and everything's beat except i can't i haven't brought myself to complete all of the daughters of artemis locations because i don't want to kill the lead huntresses because i'm their leader and i'm like that just seems mean 
And so, yeah, I, other than those, like, it's just completely complete. It's hard to keep going. So I'm like, I don't, I'm just replaying all the same things. There's no more chests to discover and I want them. So I have like her, if I want to just like live it up by being like the epic level 99. And then I have like a, my like level 14 Cassandra who's doing it all over again. <laughs> and then I have Alexios who's like comfortably in the middle. And so it's, you know, it depends on where I want to be in the game on that given evening, whether I just want to wander. It's, I've got a whole system played out and Alexios plays his role. You know, he's not ideal, but he's kind of fun. I like the armor on him sometimes better. The ones that are like super hyper-masculine armor. So I'm like, well, I like to try out those. I got Cassandra with the Amazon gear and I clearly put a lot of thought into this. It's okay. You know, all those like different loadouts they give you, I have them all because I'm like, no, I have the four separate loadouts. So she looks good in these four. And it's, it's, you know, I need to do that. I keep forgetting that that's an option. I got to do that. So then there, I've got all the full options, totally complete and decked out, especially with her. Cause I've got my level 99 one. I'm like, I don't even know what to do with all of the money and like gems and stuff that I have now, because that's my new plan. Thank you. Yes. No, get the, get those <laughs> loadouts, tonight. man. They are, they are awesome. And you know, it's like with the loadouts, you can do not only the fun gear, but then you can choose like what kind of animal mount that she rides and you put the right, fun stuff together. Thing. So, yeah. 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 I'm collecting, I'm currently one, collecting yeah. the um, Dionysus gear. Oh, that's that a very fun one. It's just so purple. It's just so purple. Oh, riding yeah. the big ass sacred bull oh, around yeah, Greece bull. is yeah. just hilarious. Although I will say my favorite is actually the sacred deer that I pair with the like Artemis stuff. Oh, I don't have can... that one. Oh, you need to get I it. I don't want to so pay good. for anything. <laughs> I know. Well, that's the only thing I hate. So I just micros. like, you know, I check my random guy who sells them every once in a while. I check oh. every couple of days. So I know. Yes. Sargon. I think that's the word. Yeah. Yeah. Sargon. Yeah. Yeah, No, it's fun. Well, and, and, you know, I think, you know, I've spent so much time in that game that uh, when I had the opportunity to, to meet and speak with Cassandra's voice actress, I think the Mm. first thing I said to her was like, hi, so who's more Cassandra? You or me, you voiced her, but I've spent 400 plus hours as her. So uh, (laughs) let's talk, you know, and she's just like, I don't know, man, at this point, probably you. That's very fun though. She must be cool. (laughs) She, she, you know, I only talked to her for like 10 minutes, but she seemed like a really chill person. So yeah, like props to her for for her work in the game. Since you like the Odyssey, you're probably going to last. So I've, I've wanted to incorporate this for a while. So to end the interview portion, before we get to the poem portion of the podcast, I've incorporated this new thing called Odyssey's End. Fun three questions at the end, just to kind of do some fun things. And also I like three because it's a great mythological number for Greece of great significance. Three fates, three furies, three Three gorgons, three gorgons, three people on a quest. Sometimes three muses. Exactly. So it's just a magical number all around. Yeah, this is this new thing I'm trying. Basically, I'm going to start off with if there was any historical person that you could meet and like make your best friend, who would it be and why? Historical, not mm-hmm. mythological. Ah, historical, historical. I guess Homer, if he's real, because I want to know if he's real. Because I feel like I get something real good out of that. Okay, yeah. yeah, I could see it. I could see it. I don't spend a lot of my time thinking about historical people. Euripides, no, I take it back, Euripides. Yeah. Okay. Why? Just wondering. Because I want I want to know what drove him to give women complete personalities in his plays comparatively to other people. Okay. All right. Interesting. 
Interesting. Yeah, that would be, he'd be really interesting to meet. I think I personally would want to meet Aristophanes because I just want to ask him about like. He would just shit all over Euripides. He would tell you lies. <laughs> and then you would learn more lies about Euripides. That's true. That's true. At the same time, I'm just like, maybe <laughs> if I could trick him into like telling me like, why did he write women at the Thesmophoria or something? Because he wanted to insult Euripides. Uh, I feel like that would be the answer, but I would hope just like optimistically that there was right. a different answer. But yeah, you know, more likely than not, <laughs> yes, that would probably be the answer. It was at least a part of it. It was it was like a, a part of why, for sure. True, a big portion of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, second of all, when you were in college, did you go to office hours? No, not once. Okay. <laughs> all my okay. friends did. They were keener than I was. Okay. Maybe well, maybe once, but I can't remember a time. I did do some like equally nerdy stuff though. So my uh Greek drama prof was really incredible. And he for one, our whole class was just all of the versions of the Oristaya. So we just read the whole of it, which was very cool. So it was like a whole class on just the very the three tragedians takes on the Oristaya, which I loved. But then aside from that, he wanted to do to try out a radio play of, of one of the Greek tragedies. So he made it um, essentially its own like four credit course. And so me and like five other all women agreed to do or signed up rather to do full radio play reading. It spent a couple weeks like locked away in this recording studio doing a reading of Euripides' Orestes. And it was so fun. And then the next year he wanted to do it again, but with his own translation of a place so that he could actually release it somewhere. Um, And he went with Hippolytus, but he actually also went with actors. So I only got cast in the chorus, but I got to do both of them. I got like eight credits to do like a couple weeks work, two years in a row. That was just so much fun and dorky. And like, I feel like it's equivalent to office hours because it was definitely like the same level of like getting in close with the prof and like just making friends and being weird. Yeah. Hey, that sounds pretty chill. So, okay. That's a pretty good equivalent. (laughs) If not, you know, the proper office hours. And lastly, what are, you know, maybe your top three, let's say sources, you know, just resources that you would recommend to people who either like history, you know, or mythology or or both, you know, they could be podcasts, books, movies, TV shows, dare I even add that in? They're all going to be books or websites because that's literally all I do with my days and nights and all my time. Number one is theoi.com. It has saved my life in so many ways. It is a a gem of happiness and wonder and just the perfect place for context. It is a website that synthesizes extant sources on a character basis. You can just search in, plug in whatever character and they don't have everybody. It's a work in progress. I don't know if it's still ongoing, but essentially though, you know, you can plug in Medusa and you can find so many mentions of her in in sourcing. And that alone is just so hard otherwise um, that it's really helped me a lot. Otherwise, I mean, you know, Emily Wilson's translation of the Odyssey should be talked about all the time and it is. (laughs) So I'm certainly only adding to like an already epic chorus of it. And I'm really excited. This is a forthcoming. I don't know when and I'm going to forget uh, the translator's name, but there's a new translation of Metamorphoses coming at some point. And it's being translated by a woman. And you know what? It's a new translation of, of Ovid's Metamorphoses by Stephanie McCarter. 
And I'm really pumped for just like a new translation of Metamorphoses in general, but one done by a woman with a lot of thought to what is in that work, which is already, you know, often quite sympathetic to women versus gods. And that alone is really interesting. So I'm very excited for it. Oh, awesome. Now on to our poem uh, reading, which, you know, not as entertaining maybe as you reading or reciting something, but hopefully it'll, uh, you know, be interesting nonetheless. So at the end of each podcast, I ask each guest if they will read Shelley's Ozymandias poem. And then, you know, right after you read it, it doesn't need to be the longest, most wonderful erudite thing you've ever said in your life. But I like to capture just your quick thoughts on like, what is this poem's meaning? Like, what is it trying to tell us? You know, what can we learn from it? All right. Well, one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I met a traveler from an antique land who said... Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them, on the sand, half-sunk, a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions read, which yet survive, stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair." Nothing beside remains, round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare. The lone and level sands stretch far away. All right. That was lovely. As I said to you up front, I have never read that, even though I have an English degree and an epically enormous book of Shelley poems that I have to say have an introduction that is phrased as an introduction by the author's wife. And they literally just call Mary Shelley simply his wife. And I'm like, Woman wrote Frankenstein, you lunatics. Anyway, I think that's really beautiful and, and interesting. It reminds me of Planet of the Apes. I'm getting the vibes of finding the Statue of Liberty and realizing you're on Earth moment. But yeah, I don't know. I think I have 
trouble with poetry because I can just read it and be like, I really like this. It's nice. And then can't actually put into words why. But I mean, I, I think I like it for all the obvious reasons of the love of, of antiquity and the fascination with the learning about this ancient world and, and discovering new things and the intricacies. And I suppose my favorite part of this podcast nowadays is thinking about what we don't have and why. And that kind of just reminds me of that as well. Yeah, you know, I love the Planet of the Apes like analogy that you brought up uh, because I think, yeah, it's true. I mean, as as we know, it's Osmandius is just the, the Greek name for Ramesses II. So I know that Shelley was really inspired because this broken statue was supposed to be taken from Egypt to the UK. Weird, uh, really? They did that? Yeah, I know. Oh my God, how could you even... Sorry, that's they, sarcasm to make yes. very clear. Cause yes, because, you know, they were saving they these things, quote unquote, borrowing these things. They oh, were- yeah. And then literally forever refusing to give them back. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Like many anyway. things. So, yeah. For so the, the statue British was. Museum. Right. So the <laughs> so the the statue was being it was, it was going to be moved to, to the UK. And yeah, so he's, he caught a glimpse of this broken statue that they were carrying back and was so inspired that he wrote the poem he wrote Hmm. he wrote all 14 lines and i was like "Mm, interesting so i wonder what shelly is saying and so you know i get all polemic about it and i'm like oh guess what guys it is it is commentary on political power it's ephemeral it'll go away (laughs) you will fade you will you will crumble like the statue and you will die forever just leave us alone i kind of think of it just yes as a commentary a political commentary on the ephemeral nature of power and how to me it's you know like oh well you you can't be great unless you have help from the little guy the artisan who made the statue or the archaeologist who found the statue because obviously right ramses was like oh my kingdom my civilization it'll be here for thousands of years it'll be here forever and i'm the greatest ever i'm the goat which lol your civilization's gone buddy sorry to tell you but he wasn't just any king of egypt let's give him some credit this is egypt you do a that's a lot of laughing off lol egypt's fallen man this is not greece this is egypt we got thousands and thousands of years oh my gosh that's true. This is. I'm defending Ramses the second because he was <laughs> Ramses the second. Who's Ramses the second? I. Whew. It's funny. Somebody just told me the other day that they thought it was additionally hilarious because in Egyptian art he's portrayed as this very serene, calm pharaoh. So the fact that the poem is talking about this, like this sneer, and they're like, "But he was never portrayed that way. Why the hell would you say that?" But then, and then somebody aptly brought up, "Yeah, but he's the villain from the Bible. When you think of it biblically, like he's the pharaoh in Exodus Ugh. who's evil." So then you're like, "Well, that could be influenced." So I, I was like, "What the Bible? Honestly, could never have told you that. I, I can't like immediately." <laughs> name why I know Ramses II to be one of the most famous but like I do and it wasn't the bible I mean his accomplishments stand up by itself I mean he yeah, was I think like that's what the I longest lived pharaoh and oh, that's he was why. he was the richest and most successful which is why we're always learning about him and mm-hmm. he, you know he has the mummy and blah 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 but yeah no so I mean I knew it because I learned it long ago but I didn't really like register it I was kind of like whatever so incidentally though I was like oh wait he is he's the villain of exodus oh my gosh because well yeah somebody like Shelly in that time period you're definitely going to be looking at that more so than Egyptian history yes because you know they're all like 
Christian men. Anyway, yeah, you know, I was like, oh, okay, so that could explain why or how. If we're looking at the poem from the prism of this ephemeral nature of, of power and greatness and a look at hu- humanity and, and human hubris, the last question I like to ask every single guest on the podcast is if you think about our culture today and all that it is, do we have like a, a modern Ozymandias? When I say, you know, this could be a theoretical answer. It could be, you know, person, place, thing, idea, whatever. But like if we looked back from 2000 years from now, another that 200 be- years, if we're looking back, is there something right now that we're going to be like, we thought this was so great and amazing, greatest of all time. But like, LOL, in the future, it's stupid and ridiculous. And why? Why? I think I'm going to take it in a different way, which is to like, because my answer is Bezos, the the smart of us, the intelligent, the ones who are paying attention, not even intelligence, because I don't want to link it to that. But the ones, those of us who are paying attention to what's going on know already that he's an utter piece of shit. And I'm not comparing him to Ramsey's second. I'm comparing him to this idea of like, looking back and realizing something because i think if we make it to 200 years it's only because bezos stopped or was stopped and we're going to look back and be like oh wouldn't it have been cool if there wasn't this billionaire sending himself to space just for fun and putting out more co2 than like the entire world emits in a whole year just because he felt like nipping off into space and he could so yeah i could i could get it dark and bring it to bezos almost anything but i also want to make clear i'm definitely not connecting that to um, Ramsey's second, but also I think, so for me reading that poem, I don't so much see it like that. I, I think I went immediately to the history of it and like unearthing something and seeing it from that perspective versus the idea of the, yeah, the ephemeral nature of, of power. I see it more of like the, the unearthing of history and yeah, I don't know. It's interesting to see, I, but again, I don't think about poems all that often except Homer and Epic. <laughs> Well, I haven't really done poetry since I got out of school. So this is LOL, spoiler alert, the only poem I've read in a very long time. And it's the only poem I even bother to do analyses of. So then again, I've been looking at this poem for a very long time and I may just be reading too much into (laughs) it, but you know, that's a thing I do a lot. Anyway, I love the Bezos comparison. I think it's true though, um, in, in some aspect, I mean- you know, there's so many different ways you could go with it. Someone was like capitalism. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm basically saying capitalism, just linking it down to the worst and utter absolute worst level of capitalism, which is Jeff Bezos. I just realized in today's episode of my podcast, the one that just came out, came out this morning, I definitely said he deserved a worse, punish, worse punishment than Tantalus. So I don't think I'm making a big leap by what I just <laughs> said here. And that's pretty bad if you're like me and you love food. Oh my God, I couldn't imagine anything worse. But <laughs> man, it's it's been so fun to talk to you. I love talking to fellow podcasters and fellow like history mythology nerds. So I was I'm so happy that we got to make this work. Thank you again for for joining me today. Thank you so much. This has been very fun. I, I do love to talk. <laughs> that's my thing. Trireme Transit is now departing ancient office hours. Next stop is Present Ponderings.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.